This is Line Dance Podcast. I'm Christopher Gonzalez. Hello and welcome to Line Dance Podcast. What is your what is your name? My name is Jeremy, DJ Jeremy. And what is your primary role in the line dance community? I am a line dance DJ at the Grand Sierra Resort in Reno, Nevada. From 10 to 2, Thursday through Saturday. How long have you been doing this particular gig? This gig started, what, about four months ago? Well, I'd done it off and on for the previous DJ, and then he left. I took over, and it's booming now. So, How long have you been DJing in general? Almost 20 years. Holy cow, so you've I, seen just about everything out there. I, I don't want to date myself, but yeah, about 20 years is when I first got into it. You and started I, when you were five, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It was weird. There's videos. <laughs> no, actually, I, I started much like you guys. I was just, I was a line dancer. I danced. I loved dancing. Even before I was 21, I was going to the local club here in town called Rodeo Rock, and I would learn the dances, and I would dance, and then they had some trouble with DJs, and they approached me and said, would you like to learn how to DJ? We need one. We can't pay you. I was like, sure, 21 years old. Who the hell doesn't want a DJ, you know? So I went, and they taught me how to DJ. And the cool thing was, at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, they would roll over and do house music, which a lot of country places do for some reason. But for me, it was cool because I got to sit back and watch how the club DJ would actually mix music and make a flow and a pattern to what he did which was totally different than the way a line dance DJ goes, but I'm able to apply some of those principles to what I do and make the music flow and, and, and make sure that the the beats and everything goes together and everybody has a good time with that and it doesn't get boring, as you guys probably have witnessed over the last couple of days, hopefully. You mentioned uh, about flow. How does, how does a DJ govern the flow of a, a line dance evening? Well, there's two different types of dancers out there. There's line dancers, and then there's the guys and the girls that like to do the couples dances. And where I come from, you do the line dances to learn and, and to dance and to show off a little bit. But the couples dances, it's where you meet women. You know, you totally need to find that girl. You get on the floor. That's why a lot of the couples dances have bumps and grinds in them, so you can kind of get a little sensual. What do they say? Dancing is vertical expression of horizontal desires. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've, you've got that too, so you got to try to find the good balance to keep the cowboys that are there to meet the girls and dance with the ladies. And then the, the people like you guys that only do line dances for the most part, got to keep you guys happy too. So it's, it's, it's all about the puzzle of the evening, looking at the crowd, seeing how many couples, how many line dancers there are and finding a good mix and groove to make everybody happy and keep them there as long as they can drinking beer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you say the puzzle of the evening because it really changes mm-hmm. All, all the time. I, every once in a while, I'll look at like things that can be standardized or things that can be predicted uh, as far as like music rotation or uh, you know who knows what. But depending on who is there, you know who knows what is going to change. Right. So then you have a completely different playlist from what you had uh, tentatively planned. Right, and and that's you know what what some of the fun of the the job is because like this weekend I have my my regulars that come in, but then I see you guys walk in and I'm like, okay, well that opens up all of the Sacramento dances, you know we've had our our line dance instructor Dustin who has been bringing a lot of that stuff to Reno, but it's weird to watch it catch on because you guys have been doing it for a while. And then you show up, and it's like, okay, well, I know there's at least three people that can do it, but like we did the song Get Ugly a few times this weekend, and the dance floor was full. I don't know if he's taught that. Maybe once here, but people are actually taking an interest in learning, and thank God for YouTube, because line dance instruction 
is is something that most venues forget about now. You know, when I started off way back at Rodeo Rock 20 years ago, every single night our format was from 6 to 8, they would do line dance instruction or couples, whatever. They would do line dance and a couples dance. And then from 8 to 10, it was all ages could dance. And then at 10 o'clock, they kicked the kids out. And it was just a dance club after that. But that created the perfect formula for a line dance venue because you taught people how to dance, you gave them an opportunity to do so, and in turn, they would get thirsty and buy drinks, and that's where you make your money. And a lot of the venues that I see now are always missing one piece of that puzzle. You know, the, we, we do our Thursday nights at, at GSR with the line dance instruction, but that's one dance for 30 minutes. That's not really enough to get people a, a grasp of how to do these dances. You know, you have some people that are hard to teach that might take a couple lessons. Well, we're going to do that lesson once maybe every couple months. So thank God for YouTube that they can go back and watch and, and learn how to do it after the lesson if they decide they like it. How have you seen the, the line dance scene and like the selection of dances change specifically at Grand Sierra, while you've been there and, and before you were formally DJing there, as well as how have you seen the line dance scene overall change since you started? <clears throat> See, I'll, I'll take you way back on that. It was one of the biggest weird things, because I was also the DJ at Gillies. You guys know that, but the listeners may not. Um, before Gillies, I hadn't really DJed country music for probably 10 or 12 years. I did the thing at Rodeo Rock, and then I got a, a few years after that, started my own DJ business. We did weddings and stuff, but when I got the gig at Gillies... I had to get back into it, and luckily a lot of the line dances are actually the same. I mean, everybody still does Men in Black. They still do Watermelon Crawl. And I was like, okay, I can handle this. But then it was so weird to me. The first time I played a drifter, and there wasn't a group of ladies at the edge of the dance floor waiting for a gentleman to pick them up and dance with them. They were out there dancing. And I'm like, that didn't make any sense to me because it's like, here's your chance. Here is your chance to dance with a guy, and you're out there. And I'm thinking to myself as a guy going, I'd don't have enough nerve to go ask her to dance she's doing it on her own she doesn't need me and it's like for my whole world because that's that's when i would go pick up on a woman is like okay i'm gonna come dance people are gonna know that i know how to do this dance so the next time that somebody plays it i'm gonna have a partner but if they're already out there dancing i'm kind of a shy guy when i'm not on a microphone (laughs) (laughs) and uh it's like i don't have the nerve to go try to interrupt her having a good time to see because i don't If I'm at the edge of the dance floor and I ask her to dance and she says, no, I can walk back to my seat, nobody knows. If I go out to the middle of the dance floor and ask her, i got to take the walk of shame all the way back off the dance floor. So for me, that's probably one of the biggest things that's changed is just just the, I don't know, the women empowerment. I don't know what you call it, but the fact that the women have no problem dancing alone. And it's it's so weird. I'm I'm an old-fashioned kind of guy. And it's like, I thank God I have my wife because I'm terrible with women. And if I had to try to meet somebody in the scene now, I think it would be very difficult because, you know, it, it's hard to find out the ones that are out there with their girlfriend and having a good time and to heck with you, you're a man, or the ones that are just, they're looking for a man but don't know any different because that's the way the, the culture is now. Now, that being said, we are seeing a lot of new dances. And even back in the Rodeo Rock days, there was a lot of dances to hip-hop music. But I think that because the the musical genres are so muddy now that you're seeing a lot more of that. And it, it's kind of weird because I have, on the, the big screen behind us, it says Grand Country Nights. And probably at least three times a week and some kind of, you know, a, a cowboy comes up and goes, when are you going to play some country music? And it's like, well, I'm doing what I need to do to make the room happy. I said, if you have a request, let me know. You know, I, I don't have a problem playing that, but 
I have to play what people are dancing to. And if, if our line dance instructors are teaching line dances to like Get Ugly or even Ain't Too Cool, which isn't really a country song, that's what I'm limited to what I can play. You know, and, and I do think it's nice when you take like a Men in Black and you find a country song that you can do to it. But in my world, Men in Black is choreographed so perfectly to that song, I don't want to change it either. So, you know, that's that's probably the biggest change is just that, you know, the, the hip hop is taking over even more. And it's it's harder and harder to find that balance between keeping the, the people that are there drinking beer that don't dance, want to have a good time and don't want to listen to what they would hear at the hip hop nightclub as opposed to, you know, going to a honky tonk or whatever. Is there any kind of ratio that you try to maintain, like one country song every five songs or three or however? You know, I really don't pay a lot of attention to that. I will notice, like, if I play three hip-hop country line dance or hip-hop line dance songs, then I'll try to do a few. I'll be like, well, you know, I don't want to do another one. So that's when I'll go and play, like, you know, a couple's dance because most of the couple's dances are still to country music. So that's a good way to, to bring the balance back. And I, I do try to keep a little bit of a balance. I don't pay as close of attention as I could. But I think that I, I find a good a good mix to, to make everybody happy. And, you know, the guy that comes up and says he wants more country music, nine times out of ten you ask him for a request, he goes, oh. It's like, well, if you don't know what you want here, how am I supposed to know? So, Are there any dances that or any songs that you consider in your mind just because um, – you have the the enjoyment of partner dancing that you do. Are there any that you've just sort of personally reserved as two-step songs? So even if a dance comes out to that, like mm, I'm going to call it a two-step anyway. Yeah, I do have a few that I that I do, but they're from my world. Right. They're '90s country that were great at rodeo rock that were great two steps. What might some of those be? Like Steve Holy, "Don't Make Me Beg," mm-hmm. is a great one. Hal Ketchum, "Small Town Saturday Night." Uh, Diamond Rio, Norma Jean Riley, and uh, like Vince Gill, Liza Jane. I mean, those are all 90s country, but they're still rock and two-step songs. Now, that being said, I have no problem as a DJ calling, you know, a dance on the outside and a dance in the middle if there was something choreographed to one of those songs. I want everybody to be able to dance, so I don't have a problem with that. That's one of the hard things we do have at GSR because we are out in the open. We have not only the line dancers and the couples dancers, but we have the idiots from the casino. I mean, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> we have lose is how I heard them describe. <laughs> yeah. the the guests from the casino that have maybe partaken in a little bit too much alcohol that want to come join in, and it's 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 a whole nother dynamic to try to keep everybody happy because you've already got two, sometimes three different dances already happening on the floor, and then you've got that one person that you have to tell them they're wrong, you know, and it's like, well, he's doing his own thing, they're doing their own thing, why can't I? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, because you're in the way, you know. Yeah, sometimes I, I wonder about like. It might just be people who aren't used to what line dancing is. Right. Like, when there's a pattern, you see people are going a certain way. Because of how our, our minds with line dance work, we would expect that if they've gone that way, they're, they're going to come, come back. back in, like, a second. So probably <laughs> not a good time to cross through. But it, it happens. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Somebody a little drunk, <clears throat> trying to follow. Yeah, they take three too many steps the wrong way. And it's, yeah, it's bad. I was actually curious, um, since you've been doing this as long as you have... What have you noticed for dance floor etiquette, since we're kind of on that topic as is? Okay, it's totally gone. (laughs) (laughs) Totally gone. And from my experience, the reason for that is, I'm going to go back, Rodeo Rock was the king of country nightclubs in Reno for a long time. We had dance floor etiquette, people followed it, and we enforced it. We would kick you out if you were in the way. I mean, it was serious. After Rodeo Rock, for the next 
eight or ten years, it was a series of live band venues. So there was nobody to call out dances. There was nobody to count them off. They would just play songs, and people would figure out what to do to them. And with that, they would do what they did. People would follow. And that was so there was nobody enforcing any rules. So now I play a song. If I don't call it out or other DJs don't call it out, you'll have half the room that goes, oh, that's a horseshoe. And the other half will go, oh, that's a drifter. And they're fighting over, you know, the dance floor trying to get their their dance done because there's never been in their world, if they got into line dancing within the last 10 years, there's never been any, they don't even know what line dance etiquette is, let alone how to follow it. I've tried to bring some of that into the GSR with what I do. I make my announcements and try to do that, but it's still not really enforceable. People are still going to do what they're going to do. So I would like, I was actually talking to my wife, Melissa, that we have the big screen in the background. I was going to make a screen for that that kind of explained what line dance etiquette was and just throw it up there a couple times a night for people to see to hopefully start getting that instilled in people's heads because when you don't have etiquette, that's when the fights happen. That's when the, the you know abrasiveness, ha- abrasiveness happens between the people on the floor and then nobody has a good time. Uh, what are some of the examples or, or uh, rules of etiquette that you can throw out there? I'm sure most of us already know being right. line dancers. But I would hope case, so. <laughs> but in case that there's that you know a couple people that are like, okay, I've heard so much about this etiquette, but no one ever tells me what it is. Yeah. Well, the the big thing is you know try to do what the floor is doing or what's been called. That's always important. And if you know you guys are from from California and you do things a little bit different, you do it off to the side and you're not in the way. So that's important. And then like if you're doing the the couples dances around the outside, if you're learning it or don't know it, move towards the middle. Let the people that know it do it. If you're, even if you're following it, you can still do it on the inside of the circle and not be in anybody's way, and you can still follow their steps or follow their feet and learn what you're doing, but you're not in the way. So, you know, you got got the professionals around the outside, the amateurs in the middle, and then if there's a called line dance in the middle, there's, the floor should be big enough for everybody to be able to do what they want. But if, if it's not, then you can go off to the side and just watch the steps and do it. But the main thing is just just try to stay out of people's way. People are concentrating on what they're doing. Maybe they just learned the dance themselves and they don't want you right behind them, bumping into them, running into them because they're having a hard time learning it anyway. Some of the dances aren't easy. So, you know, if if there's anybody out there that just wants to know the the golden rule of line dance etiquette or dance floor etiquette is try to stay out of people's way. You know, you've got people like, you know, Chris here that will, if he's got the floor to himself, he's going to use every inch of the floor. Try not to be in his way, (laughs) you know. So that that's important to me, and that, I think that if if most people follow that, you know, the the world's going to be a better place, and and that's where we run into the problem with GSR is you know you've got people that try to follow that, but then you've got the wanderers that want to be in the way. You know, I have a hard time playing the the redneck stomp because you'll always get that group of people that wants to go stand right in the middle and drink a beer. <laughs> Right, and we have line dancers that have no problem throwing elbows. And it's like, you know, if you're holding a drink on the dance floor, it's going to get knocked out of your hand. And it's like, that's not the right answer either, but they're just so frustrated because there's no way to enforce that in this particular venue. And this is the venue in Reno. I mean, there's nowhere else to go. So we got to make the best out of the situation. And, and, you know, hopefully with with me in there and, and announcing, I try to stay on top of it. We can kind of keep it so people will have a good time and there won't be any fights. How do people find out about this particular country night? And is there anything that you can say to like the supply and demand of line dance in this area and whether that's changed at all? Well, word of mouth. 
I'm sure that it's the same in California for you guys, but the line dance community is a pretty tight-knit community. So, you know, that's part of the reason why I ended up with the job at Grand Sierra was the first night that I filled in for the previous DJ, the crowd was triple than what he had. And that was because I put on Facebook, hey, I'm going to be here if you guys want to see me again, you know, blah, 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 blah. They came out and it was amazing to me. I had no idea because I'd never seen the other guy DJ there. I thought it was a normal night. I had probably 20 people that night come up to me and go, how do we get you here all the time? This is awesome. This is what we like. And management noticed. And, uh, you know, through the course of probably a month, month and a half, I was had the job. But it was basically just, just Facebook. They do have a sign outside on their, their big billboard that says Country Nights. But it's been the same picture for two or three years. So anybody that's seen it, they don't pay attention to it anymore. So it's it's basically word of mouth in the community so now if a person were to walk into a place that has speakers and plug in their phone and play a playlist then go drive off to starbucks for three hours and come back and that were their form of djing so you've interviewed the other dj oh no no no, (laughs) not at all i'm curious what would an ideal dj's um responsibilities include like what makes in your mind uh a dj Pressing play. Right, yeah. So, right. like, because I mean, the venue owner could do something like that. Right. But for a DJ to come in, they they're looking for uh, who knows what. They're they're trying to govern flow. What would an ideal DJ be uh, equipped to do to make the best possible line dance experience for somebody for several See, hours? And that's a hard question for me to answer because then I jeopardize my job. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, what it is, you know, in in my world, I want to make everybody that's there feel like I'm DJing to them. You walk in, I know what your favorite dances are, you're going to hear them before too long. You're not going to sit too long. And I, I actively look out at the crowd, I take an interest in all the people that are there, the, the regulars, and I I want to know what they like to dance to. You know, if, if somebody learns a new dance and they're, they're practicing it, I want to play that one a little bit early because, you know, maybe they're not going to be there in an hour. I don't know what their schedule's like, I know they're here now. You know, so I want to make them feel like, hey, I'm here for you. You let me know what you need. And then that's the puzzle that I put together is I've got 60 people like this that I have to get their songs on. So then you start getting into the, well, I know she knows this one, that one, and that one. But she also knows those three. And this guy knows that one of those three. So I'm going to play that one so all of the groups can dance. And then we do run into the times of the evening where... You know, I'll play a song, and you know, like I played the one that you guys choreographed last night, and there was three people dancing to it. But I think that's okay every once in a while, especially if I explain what's going on, and it gives everybody a chance to you know have a breather anyway, because so many people know so many dances, they could be out there all night. So I play play something new, give them something to watch, you know, a little show for you guys. They can go to the bar, get a beer or whatever. But that's that's my philosophy: is I want you to come down, and I want you to know that I know you're there. And I'm going to play your songs, and they're going to get played, you know. And and hopefully, I can keep that as as the business keeps growing, because as it grows, there's more and more regulars, and there's more and more obscurities that I got to try to fit in. I mean, we have they weren't there all there last night, but there's three guys that show up every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and they all have their own song they like to hear, and two of them nobody can dance to. So I have to try to fit these in, and they're probably in their 70s or 80s, so they're not going to be there all night, but one of them is Johnny Be Good, you know, the guy that likes that song, he's like 85, veteran of three wars, how do you say no to that guy? Right. You know, the other guy, his friend, likes uh, Folsom Prison Blues, you can kind of do a two-step to that, it's terrible, but you can, 
And then the other guy pays me $5 every night to play Dwight Yoakam Fast As You. You know, but these guys only stay till midnight. We start at 10 if we're lucky. So I got to find a way to fit these three songs that are kind of dance floor killers in the first two hours. You know, and that's that's part of my job is, is putting that puzzle together. Because you know what? They still come down every night because they like what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't have to come down. They came they came down when I was working at Gillies. And I would do the same thing for them at Gillies, which was actually harder. Because I only had 15 minutes an hour that I could play music in. And to fill those three songs, that's one whole band break. And so that means that nobody else would get to dance. So that's that's me as a DJ trying to put that puzzle together, trying to make you as a customer feel special in some way. Even if it's just over the microphone saying, hey, I love that dress, Patty. You know, she knows that I know that she's there. And, you know, she's going to come up later and request a song and, you know, I'll get it on. No problem. What kind of relationship do you develop with the people who manage the venues so that you're able to convince them that you could use longer set times starting earlier or longer band breaks or anything like that? How do you really push the value of line dance to the venue owners? You know, with with GSR, we're kind of in a in a a lock. There, there's nothing we can do about like the ten o'clock thing, and the reason for that is the the sports book closes at 10. The sports book paid for that room. They're not going to let us do anything before 10. And for GSR, it's the perfect storm because after 10, that room makes no money. Everybody leaves. They're gone. They bring me in there, pay me pretty good, but they make triple, quadruple what they're paying me a night in bar sales. With So it's basically no overhead. They're already paying the bartenders. All they have to pay is me and the couple dancing girls, the Daisy Duke dancers, and they make you know, a few thousand dollars a night. So they're not going to change anything. Where they see value is, you know, previous DJ made X amount of dollars a night. I come in, I make triple that a night. So they're going, well, okay, this guy's got way more value than the other guy. We're going to keep you. And I'm not stupid. I know I'm only as good until the next guy comes in when I take a night off and triples my numbers. Mm-hmm. So it's part of my responsibility to to be responsible and be there as much as I can to never open up that window. Mm-hmm. You know, because it is the entertainment business, and the entertainment business is cutthroat. You're only as good as your last gig, and if I bring somebody else in, which is kind of what happened with the previous DJ, I worked there one night, and they noticed. And if, you know, if I bring you into DJ one night, and the numbers are triple of mine, I probably don't have a job anymore. So that's where my value is, is, is the, the nicer I can be to my, my following and my customers, the more I can make them come back, the more they're going to pay in bar sales, they're, you know the more money they're going to make while I'm DJing. And that's why we started the thing that you guys witnessed a few times called the hauler and a swaller, which we actually stole from Nashville. They do it about every 10 minutes in Nashville, but that entices bar sales. It entices people to buy us drinks and buy themselves drinks because they want to participate. So, you know, even if it's only a couple hundred dollars a night, it's still a couple hundred dollars a night profit for the, for the bar. What is the hauler and swaller? How would you describe that for people who have not seen that? All right. So, <laughs> so we started it there. You know, we don't have to do it when people buy us drinks or we, we can do it randomly throughout the night, but we, we definitely always do it whenever somebody buys me or the, the Daisy Duke dancers a drink. And basically what you do is you just take your drink, raise it up in the air, on the count of three, yell yeehaw or whatever you want as loud as you can, and then take a drink. It's a hauler and a swaller. But it's it, it's audience participation, you know, and that's makes everybody feel like they're part of something. And it's kind of funny because I was just 
on a whim designed some t-shirts or whatever, bought all the dancer shirts, and now we've had probably five or six customers that want to buy shirts too, so we've kind of started a little a little thing, and that's, you know, for, for the Grand Sierra's part, kind of a lost revenue stream for them because they don't want to buy shirts or whatever. They don't want to invest that money, so I did. I'm not going to make any money off of it, but in a month or two, I'm going to be able to look out in the crowd and see 10 or 15 of, of my hauler and swaller shirts and go, I started that. I'm pretty good, <laughs> you know. What can you tell us about the Daisy Dukes dancers for those who have not seen them up on the stage? Bow chicka wow wow. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically their purpose is for maybe you're a little shy. Nobody likes to be the first one on the dance floor, you know, or maybe you just learned a particular dance. They're up there. They do the dance without a lot of flair. They do it the way it's choreographed and they give you as a beginner or just learn that dance something to follow. And they're not bad looking either. So even if you don't care about the dancing, it's still a draw. You know, the same idea as our, our Gillies girls at Gillies, you know, except they didn't dance very much. We pay these girls. They get up there. They do the line dances. And, you know, if if, if there's a drifter and you're too shy to ask the girl on the dance floor because you don't want to take the walk of shame, you can always ask one of our Daisy Duke dancers. They'll be more than happy to do it with you. So, How did that start? Where did that idea come from? You know, the original DJ... At the GSR, it was at Mustangs. His name was Jamie G, and uh, he's kind of a, a sacred, sacred guy now. He died a few years ago, and uh, you know his legacy is what I'm trying to uphold right now. He's the one that had the whole idea for all this to to open up in the sports book, empty space, have some dancers, and you know, rarely happens, but the casino actually said, "Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Let's try it." And they found out that they do make pretty decent money off of it. They found out the line dance community will support a venue like that. It's never going to be a $20,000 a night venue. It's never going to be anything that makes anybody rich. But, you know, if you make five or $6,000 a weekend over the course of a year, it's a big chunk of money. So they they stood behind it and then they incorporated it when they put Lex in, they moved the sports book over and all that, and that's why part of the deal was that they put the stage in and, and the screens and the sound system so that he could move over there. And that's kind of the, the thing that was his brainchild, as far as I know. I could be wrong, but that that's the stories that I've heard. And, you know, right before he died, he actually had contacted me to take over for him. And we had Gillies. Gillies was treating us really well, so I kind of drug my feet on it, and I never never pursued it. And it's just kind of ironic that I'm there and everybody says that they see a lot of Jamie G and what I do. They see, you know, they they couldn't think of anybody else that they know in the community to have taken the torch after the previous DJ. I think there was two other DJs before me that did it. And basically, you know, not to be harsh, but we're running it into the ground. The one DJ, that was his first DJing gig ever. He lied on his resume. He got the job. So, you know, he's never going to admit that he did wrong or whatever. And he did have people there, but the crowd was dwindling every week from what I heard. I never went, but nobody else did either from what I've heard. So I don't know. But that's that's the stories that people told me that did go often. And they said that, you know, with him, you know, it was often a slow night. He would close early. He would do that. With me, it's never a slow night. I was like, well, that's kind of good to know. Yeah, even at 2 a.m., people are still there willing to keep on dancing. Yeah, hammering. So that's it's it's a good feeling. 
With uh, with Jamie G, that might be a, a good starting point for this uh, this next question that I had for you, which was, what have you learned from others in the line dance community? Whether it's uh, fellow DJs or maybe dancers who've been doing it a while, or venue owners who are really passionate about it, what have you learned from any of the other folks and possibly starting with Jamie G? Nothing, because I'm the best. <laughs> next. No, I'm kidding. Natural talent. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think in life, when you stop taking advice and criticism, it's when you stop learning. And in the entertainment business, if you're not always ahead of the curve, then you're going to be behind it and somebody's going to come in and be better than you. So I'm always, you know, taking feedback from the customers and, and, and you know, venue owners, I will definitely talk to them about ideas that they may have, but they're relying on me to do what I do. So there really isn't any place to get advice from that. I just, you have to develop your own style. You have to be able to, to mold it to what works. And I think that's part of the problem with the other DJs is they think they know what you want more than you do. I go in there, I'm just there to play what you want to hear. That's my whole philosophy. You're coming out every week to do the same dances every week. I'm going to play the same songs every week. You know, that's that's my job. And when when I was DJing at Gillies, the bartenders and some of the cocktail waitresses would go, man, why do you play the same eight songs every night? Because the same hundred people come pay your salaries for the same eight songs every night. If I didn't do that, they wouldn't be here. We wouldn't make any money. Believe me, I don't like to play the outlaw six times in one night. But if that's what the crowd wants, that's what I'm doing. You know, if there's a hundred people there that want to hear the outlaw six times, I'm going to do it because you know what? Next week, there's going to be a hundred people there that want to hear the outlaw six weeks if, or six times. If I don't do that next week, then you're going to have the 10 people that want to hear something else. And there's no venue that can survive through that. So, you know, other DJs, I will, you know, listen to what they do, how they do it. I mean, we often, even at weddings, when we're DJing weddings and stuff, if, if we have an opportunity to go to another room and watch another DJ style, we will definitely watch that and, and try to pick up on the stuff that we like about it and do it. One of our favorite stories, I keep pointing to my wife, she's in the room. <laughs> we were we were at the Bahamas just on vacation and they had this guy was a great entertainer. His name is Funky D, look him up. He's awesome, but he he's very interactive with the crowd and one of the funny things and and, and you have to do it whenever he played it it was do like Unchained Melody or whatever, but a slow love song and he would be like, All right y'all, we're gonna do this love song now, so if you're here with somebody you love and you're not on the dance floor, well we know what that means. Well, who's not going to dance? You know, that is, we're like, that is a great way to get every couple on the dance floor. And I do that often at GSR and it's like, yep, dance floor's full. We're good. You know, so we're always looking for stuff like that, that, you know, that's funny, that, that fits into what my personality on stage is. Like I said, I'm a very shy person at home. If I could never leave my house, I never would, but unfortunately, bill collectors come. So <laughs> you, you get on stage, you get in front of a microphone, and you have to be entertaining. You have to be on. There's no, there's no bad days when you're in the spotlight. You know, and was, we actually told this story just last night because we were talking about some of the other DJs or whatever, and it's like, my grandpa died on a Saturday, and I had three hours before I had to start at Gillies. We went to Gillies. It was a hard day. But nobody there knew that what I had just gone through. That's not why they're there. They're there to escape that crap. You know, I don't need to bring my drama into the workplace. And, and you know, on a stage, in a spotlight, as an entertainer, you don't have that option. You have to be on. 
I've done three weddings with the flu. Go do the garter toss, go in the bathroom and puke. Go do the bouquet toss, go in the bathroom and puke. But none of the guests knew. Because that's, and I think that's what separates a lot of people in the entertainment business because a lot of guys just wouldn't show up. Or they would call a buddy and have them go do it. Which means that the quality of the product isn't going to be as good. So you just kind of have to have to do what you have to do to get the job done and, and, and always be open to suggestions, always be open to, to criticism. And you can't take it personally because, you know, I'll get 100 people throughout the course of a year that say I don't play enough two steps. It's like, you know, if, if, if I do listen to everything like that, then I'm going to play all two steps and I'm going to lose the line dancers. But you know what? I'll, I'll think about that. I don't play enough two steps. You know what? Actually, it's been about an hour since I've played one. Maybe I'll play a couple right now. And at least try to make that person happy tonight. You know, and then if I do that and it works, and then I still kind of get that kind of feedback, then yeah, you know what? I could probably pay, play another one, you know, every hour and just kind of morph and try to keep that group happy as well. There's always going to be the people on the extremes that you're never going to satisfy but you find that happy point in the middle where, you know what, I've played enough two steps. There's another one coming up in a little bit. Just just keep listening and, you know, until then, enjoy the evening. So, Is there anybody that you're able to keep an eye on as a, a regular source of innovation to see? As you mentioned, uh, you, know, you, you can be ahead of the curve or behind mm-hmm. it. Is there anybody that, uh, that you find is always doing exciting new things uh, so that you can maybe tap into that from time to time? Yeah, I, there's this guy I follow on Facebook. His name is Christopher Gonzalez. Have you heard of him? I heard he's kind of a show off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, he's kind of lighting guru. <laughs> for me, you know, the there really isn't anything like that. But but there is some truth to what I said because a lot of what we do in Reno does come from where you guys are, and it's stuff that you've been doing for a little while. And you know, our, our line dance instructor follows what you do, and he'll bring it to Reno, and and that's the new dance. And you know, like. A few weeks ago, he, can you play Get Ugly? Can you play Get Ugly? And it's like, man, you know, yeah, but let me do it towards the end of the night because you're the only one that's going to dance to it. I still played it, and enough people saw it and got interest in it, and now I play it at, you know, 10.30, 10.45, and there's 45 people on the dance floor. So, you know, because I wasn't afraid to play it three weeks ago when I knew it was going to be Dustin and two other people dancing to it, now I can play it earlier as as a mainstream line dance and, and the same goes for like ain't too cool i still remember not too long ago he was him and uh one other person they they were the only ones that knew it after them doing it there people watching it a couple youtube videos and i think he may have taught it once or twice now but now it's the one that's requested the most and for us you know that's a brand new line dance and now i can see the same thing happening with lonely drum mm. You know, for one, that song is catchy as hell. It is. Yes. It's a weird visual of a guy sitting in his living room banging a drum, getting drunk, <laughs> wanting his girlfriend to come over and screw. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> he was able to put it to music very well. So, you know, what what did we listen to all day today? Lonely drum. <laughs> <laughs> all the way to our uh, appointments today. I was like, oh, I guess we're listening to it again. But it, it's catchy as hell. And, and I think that's important for a you know, song. It doesn't have the greatest dance beat. But the the rhythm of the music, the way he sings the song, is catchy, and that makes people want to dance to it. You know, you could take that song or a song like "Play Something Country" by Brooks and Dunn, which has a well more defined dance beat to it. You know, but that song, because the the lyrics and the melody is so catchy, I think it's going to be pretty big. And you know, we've already seen just the first time I played it at GSR was on Friday night. 
when uh, when we played it that night, and I was surprised at how many people were on the dance floor, but with the fact that Judy Wilson is teaching it and uh, you know in her line dance lessons, and uh, Dustin is going to teach it this month, I could see it being pretty big here in the next in, you know few weeks, probably you know mid December. It'll be one of those mainstream dances like Ain't Too Cool is now and Get Ugly is, is turning into. Yeah, I think we actually only just learned that back in July, so mm. it's still really new to even Everybody. us. But man, it's it's sweeping the world because <laughs> it's all over. So yeah, and like I said, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the song is catchy as hell. The song gets stuck in your head. You know the dance. You want to do the dance. You know, probably the same twenty years ago with Boot Scoot and Boogie or Watermelon Crawl, right. which are still very popular songs. Yeah, it's weird how like Achy Breaky Heart only gets brought back ironically but boot scoot and boogie is like completely legitimate yeah achy breaky heart made and ruined his career (laughs) and i wish i could have a song like that in my career if i ever sang are there any songs that you are excited when people request or that you enjoy playing every week anything by brooks and dunn (laughs) as he flashes his tattoo (laughs) (laughs) and my wall But yeah, I, Brooks and Dunn are my favorite, so I always try to find a way to, to work a few of their songs in every night. And, you know, Ronnie Dunn has gone off on his own little tangent, and there's some songs that he's put out that are great cha-chas, and, you know, most of their music is cowboy cha-cha or, like, cruising or whatever anyway. So anytime I can work one of those in, but I always make the joke, because I could have a list of 20 requests, and somebody will come up and be like, well, can you play Neon Moon for uh, Cowboy Cha-Cha? Yep, that's next. <laughs> you know, Brooks and Dunn gets priority, or Boots, Coot, and Boogie. Oh, yep, that's next. But other than that, you know, that that's the main thing. You know, any, if anybody comes up next weekend and requests Lonely Drum, I'm going to play it pretty early because it's going to be stuck in my head. Right. You know. And then I won't be able to play it too much, but Alan Jackson has a new song. I played it last night as a slow song. The yes. older I get. We're hoping yes, to. We're maybe. actually going to be looking into that. That That is a great song. and. When when I first met my wife, since we're talking about that, she hated country music. I know. It's a sin in this room, but she hated it. Blink-182 is her people. She loves them. Yeah, she's wearing a Blink-182 shirt. Yep. So I, I was trying to explain to her. I'm like, well, country music isn't about the hard rock and guitar. You could have no music to country music, and it's about the words of the song. And I tried to do everything I could to describe it, and... I found some other songs that were, you know, talk to you, where, like, rock music is about the guitar, less about the words. I mean, read the lyrics to some Blink-182 songs. They make no sense. (laughs) But then you hear a song like Alan Jackson, The Older I Get, and it's like, wow. I mean, that's life right there. That's an amazing song, well-written, and it's like, it just, it you know, it speaks right to your heart. And and when songs come out like that, I think it's important to share them and and get the word out there. That's why I played it last night. I didn't know what it was going to do. But I just heard it on the way way to GSR and kind of got a little tear in my eye. I'm like, holy crap, you know, that's that's true. You know, the older you get, the, the more you live, the more you've lived, the more you've experienced. So that's my uh, view on that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Madison Glover has a dance to uh, The One You're Waiting On, which yes, is also very I love that one. Mm. Very poignant feel to that. Uh, one of the things that we've discovered in the last couple of years is how many of the slower line dances there are. Mm. Uh, that you can do you know, if other people are just doing like an actual slow dance, like swaying back and forth, middle school mm-hmm. style. Uh, there are some like nightclub two steps and right. dances that you can do, and that was never our style before because we couldn't do those at bars. Right, <laughs> yeah, but, nightclub uh, two step at a bar. Yeah. Well, unless you're at Stoney's. but um. <laughs> <laughs> that actually reminds me. Uh, 
when I was here last year, and I believe the year before that as well, there were more venues offering line dance. Mm-hmm. And with the success that it seems that Grand Sierra has had in the last few months, is there any reason that you can think of why more places haven't stepped up and experimented with maybe calling in yeah. a DJ or, or trying it? It's, it's actually easy. It, it's a blessing and a curse. And, and the way Reno works is you'll have one, one will do great, then you'll have six. There's not enough people in the town to support six, so everybody kind of goes and does their own thing, and nobody survives. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason that Grand Sierra's been there for as long as it has been is because there's no overhead. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not paying rent on a building. They're not paying an entire staff of kitchen staff, of bar staff, of, you know, they get their alcohol wholesale for the casino 10 feet outside of Grand Sierra or out of, you know, where we do our thing. They give it away for free. So the fact that you're paying $4 a beer inside, that's all profit, you know. So that's why, you know, Gillies came. Gillies was going to be the one that shut everything down. And finally, we got a real country nightclub. And then because it's a corporate-owned nugget business, third-floor executive office, people that don't know anything about country music designed it, there was no way it could be successful. They couldn't make enough money with the, the crappy shape of the dance floor, the bottlenecks where the bars were, you couldn't get in and out, no restrooms in there. If you fight That's through Yeah, if you fight through well, in casinos, it's actually not that uncommon to not have restrooms. And you know, if you go to a, a casino restaurant, you're not gonna have restrooms in there. You're gonna have to go out into the casino to go to the restaurant or restroom. But in a place like Gillies, you're back in the corner, you're having a couple beers, you finish your beer, you go, Man, I gotta pee. You spend 10 minutes and fight through a crowd of people to get outside to go to the restroom. You finish going to the restroom, you go, I don't want to fight through those people to get back. Let's just go home. And so you lose revenue where if they could have gone to a restroom inside of that venue, they probably would have stayed and bought more alcohol. But that was just one of the many things that the management did to to set it up for failure. And I honestly believe I'm I'm a very humble person, and I I to this day don't know why so many people show up when I'm DJing. It it blows my mind. I love it, but I don't get it. I just I just play what people want to hear. You know that's what I try to do. But I think that if it wasn't me as the DJ at Gillies, I don't think it would have made it three years. I think that it probably six months maybe because they had to make it work. But when I started there, they told me they had an eighty thousand song library. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I can I can make that work. Where's it at? Oh, it's the video computer right there. So you want me to DJ with videos? Yeah, 80,000 songs. Okay, I'm going to go get my laptop out of the car. And then I started doing what I did, and they kind of went, yeah, 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 do that. Do that. That's what we need. But they didn't know that when they hired me. They hired me because I told them that I could DJ bikini bull riding easily. That's why I got the job. And then... You know, actually, when I got out of the interview, I called my wife and I'm like, they don't want me. I, I told them what I did in my country music background, you know, that I had the experience from Rodeo Rock for two years, DJing there, DJed weddings and all that. And I like called her and I'm like, I think they want like a strip club DJ. They don't want me. And then like three weeks later, he's like, how quick can you be to Vegas? We got to send you down there to train. Sure. So I told her, I'm like, yeah, we'll go. I'll do like one contract with them, but I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to keep this gig because I'm not what they're looking for. But as it turns out, they didn't know what they wanted. I went in there. I did what I did, build the crowds. You know, it, it was a great venue. Everybody loved it that went there. It was just, you know, they complained about the dance floor. They complained about that kind of stuff. But 
because of that, you couldn't get much more than the crowd that was in there. And with the franchise fees and just their their general overhead, if they were making a profit, it wasn't much of one. You know, not enough to justify the space. How would you describe the dance floor there in its relationship with the stage and the main level of okay. all the eating? Let me, let me give some background. I don't know if you know where Gillies is in relationship to the Nugget in there. It's under the freeway. So that was another mistake they made when they decided to put it right there because they wanted the exposure into the casino like GSR has. But because it was under the freeway, they couldn't raise the roof at all. So they had to sink the dance floor down. So basically the main level and the stage were on the same level and the dance floor was sunken down. And because of the posts for the freeway and stuff, it was like shaped like a kidney bean, which is awesome when you're doing line dances that are four walls. You know, which 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 part of the kidney bean is wall number one? Right. So people found a way to make it work. But, you know, you could never do dances like the cowboy or redneck stomp because it was just there was no room for a square group or, you know, a contra style line dance. Yeah, it's a good word. You didn't know I know that <laughs> to work on, on the dance floor. So that's 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 part of the reason why, you know, it ultimately failed, because you've got all these people like you guys that love dancing going hell am I supposed to do there? You know. Are there any venues that have like an ideal wooden dance floor and a, a built-in sound system that you would love to see maybe a once-a-year workshop or event at in Reno just to represent you guys to the line dance world? You know, nothing big enough. The The best dance floor that I've seen as far as that goes is what you're going to see tonight at the Little Wall. Mm-hmm. But it's still small. It's a, it's for them, even for them, it's an afterthought. You know, they have their main restaurant, and then they have their back party room. And that's where they just throw dust in, do what you do, you know, pay him a little bit of money. Enough people come in there and buy dinner, buy a couple drinks to make it worthwhile. But at least it's a real wooden floor. It's square, decent sound system, and some dance floor lights. And really, that's all you need. I mean, I've got a, a garage out back that I could clear out and have a hell of a line dance venue in. Because they're not, you know, line dancers, they're not really picky. They just, you know, some music, some atmosphere... You know, some cold water and, and colder beer. And and you got a hap, happy crowd. What does your setup look like? And, and how does that compare to what, say, a minimum setup would be like for somebody who wanted to do some line dance DJing? Well, and that's actually funny you ask because at the GSR, I take a very minimum minimal setup. Just enough to get the music on the speakers. I don't need Serato. I don't need to mix beats. I don't need to... to have sound effects in the middle of songs because if you mess with a song, people can't dance to it. You know, if I'm DJing at Lex, yeah, I'm going to put the flanger over, add some extra beats, slow it down, change the pitch, have fun with it because you're adding mood and atmosphere to nightclub dancing. But if you mess with the beat on a line dance, people get lost because that is the whole core of what the dance is, is that recognizable beat so you know when to step and that's why i got into line dance because i'm white i have no rhythm <laughs> if, if i have to freestyle dance i'm terrible at it but you know what i can watch you show me what to do and i can take that step on that beat and if people like it hey i'm having a good time right so are there any that you jump out and do oh yeah you saw me do ooh ah a couple times over the weekend mm-hmm. um 
I do, you know, I, I know a lot of them and I do enjoy doing them. I just sometimes get lost with so many people around, but you know, I, body rocking is one body rocking is one of my favorites right now. Ooh, ah, I kind of revived here in Reno. I started doing it just because I remembered it from 20 years ago. And then a couple other people were like, I think I remember that too. And so it was me and then it was three and then it was five. And now if I play it earlier enough in the night, there'll be maybe 20 people doing it out there, which is kind of cool to see. Our, our local DJ uh, has done that recently with Flying Eights. Okay. Where it's one yeah. that he just remembered from, like you say, 20 <laughs> years ago and tried to, uh, there's a hitch here. <laughs> I can teach this right now, sure. Um, actually, I think it was Betsy, one of our, our patrons, had asked me the week prior if I knew it. And I'm like, I've only ever followed it the one time, you know, up mm-hmm. with um, Cat Painter from okay. Stoney's. I was like, so know it? No. But if you know it well enough, I'll get out on the dance floor <laughs> could, and there'll be two of us. I could follow us. it, absolutely. And then I guess uh, while we were away, he had taught it. So mm. then uh, she had asked me again the following week once we got back if I had had the chance to go over it because I told her I would and I was like, no, it totally slipped my mind. I'm so sorry. I'm so horrible. And, you know, and then he was just like, I was like, but you said Jeff taught it last week? And she goes, yeah. I was like, Maybe we can con him to, to teach me it again this week and sure enough, you and know, it worked out. and we got out there and pack floor and, yeah. you know, and it's nice bringing some of those classics back. Yeah, and, and it's nice when, when you can bring a classic back to a new song. Then it's like a brand new dance. I mean, I think the original song for Sweet Sensation is atrocious. Oh, by uh, Aaron Carter. <clears throat> yeah, I want candy. I want candy. <laughs> but, you know, you do it to Jason Derulo or High Class or, or Bruno Mars Treasure, and it's like it's a brand new dance again. It's fun again. There's one that we used to do with that in Sonoma County, which is uh, Back That Thing Up by, I think, Justin Moore. Something mm. like that. And it, the, it the, parts, the parts where you, you swing your booty around, mm-hmm. he's saying back that thing Oh, up. so yeah. it works out yeah. pretty good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's country. <laughs> that, that, that's important. <laughs> One of my favorite ones back in the day, and I've never been able to find it anywhere, was was a Mambo Number no. Five line dance, and it was so much fun. It had a fun, you know, a, a tag in it where you know it's take one step to the left, one to the right, one to the front, whatever, and it breaks off and does that. It was so complicated back in the '90s when line dancing was popular that they had to teach it over two classes. Oh, wow. And and when I got back into dancing, I've looked for it everywhere. And there's other line dances to Mambo Number no. Five, but not the one that we did. So I don't know if it was more of a local thing that we only did in Reno that somebody in Reno choreographed, or it just it never made it out of what we did. But that's one of the few that I was like, man, I wish I could you know redo that one because that was so much fun. What's the so- the dance that we do that was in that like one article? Oh gosh, I can't remember, but it was like, really really popular. But only we do it. Oh, it's like an article online. Oh, there's five one five zero, which I've never oh. seen. Like there's a, there's a, there's a dance for five one five zero. I don't know how our venue found it, mm-hmm. but it is in like one of those local news <laughs> stations, like ABC Seven. You know, they're trying to advertise some country. Night. <laughs> that is the only place I've ever seen the step sheet for that. Oh wow! It's not on Copper Now. It hasn't been on <laughs> Kick It or anywhere. It's just randomly this one place. And I don't think I've even found, like, the choreographer's uh, <laughs> Facebook pages or anything. Right. It's just, like, this mystery dance that showed up out of nowhere. But I love to do it. Nice. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a couple, like, that they're on, like, wait, where did you guys even find this? Who is this by? What? Mm-hmm. And they're like, mm, it's just something we've done here forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's weird how line dance can create those kinds of uh, traditions. What ha- What helps you when you're looking for a dance to make that transition between songs. Like if somebody requests something last minute, like do you do, is there any patter that you do or, uh, you know, promoting the bar, telling people, you know, what dance nights are coming up? You know, 
obviously those are all great things to do. <clears throat> Luckily with my software, it's all drag and drop. So even if somebody wants this song, <clears throat> excuse me, and wants it next, if I don't get it on next, then it's going to be the next song anyway. I'm not going to stall. I'm not going to just stop the music unless I actually have something poignant to say. I'm, I'm, I don't know a lot of DJs. They make a lot of promises that they can't keep or won't keep. Yeah, yeah, I'll get that on and just never get it on. She actually DJed at a place that does country music here in town. I'm not going to mention their name, but it starts with an M and rhymes with Rovi. But uh, they told her that you know, if you get a song like that, a slow song, we don't do that stuff here, but if you get one of those, just tell them you're going to play it later and never play it. It's like, well, those are your customers, though. You know, don't make promises you can't keep. I, like, I would like to be treated. If if I if somebody comes up and requests a song from me, I'll be honest with them. I'll say, you know what? It's going to be on in, like, four or five songs. Or, oh, you know what? Yeah, I haven't played that one next, or, you know, soon. It'll be it'll be next. I haven't played that tonight. That's a good one. I forgot about it. It's going to be next. So they, they kind of have an idea when they leave the DJ booth of when their song's going to be played. That way, if they do need to use the restroom or smoke a cigarette, which they could obviously do right there because it's a casino, but... Whatever they they have at least a little bit of a time frame of when their song is going to be on, which I think is is important to a lot of people rather than just passing the book. Yeah, I'm going to get to it later because I have no problem if I say that and then I forget about it. If they come up and say, "Hey, when are you going to play my song?" Oh, you know what? I, yeah, it's going to be next, you know, or whatever. But if I just tell them I'm going to play it later, then they're going to assume it's going to be in the next couple songs, and if it's not there, it's going to be in the next couple or the next couple. And then all of a sudden we're closed, mm. you know? So that's somebody that's going to leave your venue disappointed, which like I'd mentioned earlier, that's not what I want to do. I want everybody to leave there feeling like I had their back. You know, they came out, Jeremy knew I was there. He played my songs. I had a great time. I didn't even have to ask him for, him, you know, so this might end up coming back to, to Jamie as well, but is there anybody that you have looked up to who has influenced the way that you present yourself in your role? Because you mentioned No Bad mm-hmm. Days. Like I know that uh, Megan and I certainly look up to Joe Thompson's Mansky for the way that okay. she's so positive and, and cheery and interacts with everybody on a personal level. And she'll dance everybody's dances, even if they're not hers. Right. There are so many things that we've we've taken her example on. Mm. I'm curious, uh, what are the things that you've, you've learned that have made you present yourself the way that you do? You know, oddly enough, and I, I hate to say this, but I only ever watched Jamie G DJ twice in my entire life. I wasn't really into the country music scene when he was big and doing his thing. I took my wife down there a few times just to go, look at what I used to do at Rodeo Rock. <laughs> that was me. I miss it. You know, that that we did that maybe twice as we were walking through. That was it. So, you know, and I, I think that in my whole style of DJing and how we do weddings and how, how I do what I do at the GSR, I, I didn't learn from anybody. So I didn't have a pattern necessarily to follow because, you know what, even if I did learn, for, if you were a DJ and I've copied what you do, there's things that you do that people are going to think are wrong. So I'm going to follow that. So I'm already going to start off with at least a few cards of the deck stacked against me. So the way I developed what I do is is just trying to do what everybody wants, you know, trying to find that balance like I mentioned earlier. My personality, my jokes, I try to be funny. I try to make people laugh. I try to try to be a little bit entertaining, but I'm I'm an entertaining person in my own mind anyway. I think I'm kind of a funny guy. So I try to bring some of that through, but I didn't follow from anybody. I just, you know what? I'm going to play something in the water. Wait. Oh, yeah. Bill Cosby was just in the news for putting roofies in drinks. All right, up next, the Bill Cosby song. 
and everybody kind of looks, and they go, something in the water? And the half of the group that gets it thinks it's hilarious. Right. You know, or like we used to do Mexican Wind a lot. I would call it the Taco Bell song. <laughs> you know, it's just, just my personality, and it's me over the microphone, and somebody might get offended. I don't care. It's one person. If enough people get offended, maybe I won't do it. But I started just as a joke, even at Gilly's going, all right, up next, one, two, three. And people would look at me, and I would start uno, dos, tres, and go, oh, I don't speak Spanish. You know, but now people will come up to me and request one, two, three. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, and it's like, I know I'm getting through to somebody. I know that, you know, when I say that, I make somebody, I have somebody that comes up every time they're there, and they go, can you play a cowboy cha-cha? cha-cha. Because that's how I say it over the microphone, just for fun. Mm-hmm. Up next, cowboy cha-cha. And then... You know, come I see her here every once in a while. I'll go, all right, up next, cowboy cha cha, and she'll go. You know, and I was like, okay, sorry, cha cha. You know, just just weird little quirks, just to see if people out there are even listening. You know, is what I'm saying getting through to people? And when I have somebody that barely speaks English come up to me and go one two three, it's like, oh, she wants you know dos tres. All right, I know you don't speak Spanish, and she walks away. You know, and it's like. All right, so, you know, that makes her day now when, when I call out one, two, three instead of Uno Dos Tres or the Bill Cosby or Flint, Michigan song because they had stuff in their water too or, you know, just just finding little quirks like that that somebody who maybe isn't dancing can still listen, still get a joke, get a chuckle, go down there, have a beer, have a laugh. It's a good night. Do you keep any kind of a list of dances that you typically play so that people are able to to look at that and be like, oh, that's that looks familiar, and uh, request anything like that? Not really. I mean, I have the way my my software on my laptop is, it keeps the playlist forever from the last, like, if I open it up right now, it's going to be the playlist from last night, plus the one from the night before, plus the one from the night before, until you go through and kind of delete them off, which actually helps me out, too, because I don't remember all the line dances, so I can go down and look and go, oh, yeah, I'm in black, I haven't played that yet. Where a lot of the DJs use the the two turntable style software and they go load you know track A, load track B, but that's all they see. Mm-hmm. On mine, it has everything I played last night and the night before. So it's like, I can even look and go, oh yeah, you know what, I already played Santana Smooth as a Drifter tonight or last night. I'm going to play something different tonight just to try to keep the music fresh. Because you don't want to fall into that rut that every time you play a Firebird, it's Maddie and Tay, Shut Up and Fish. Because that gets boring. There are people that still request that, and I can still keep it in the rotation. But if I have five or ten different Firebirds I can choose from, I can make that last a long time without ever getting without ever getting old or tired. Yeah, it's one of the great things about uh, the partner dances like Drifter and Cowboy Cha Cha is that you know, even Cha 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 Cha, even if there were you know three dances three songs that I love doing Drifter with, mm-hmm. I then am given the chance to miss them by having these other ones played in their stead. And then when it comes back around to that mm-hmm. one, I am sure to do it. Right. Because I don't want to miss it while that song is set to Drifter. If they were that all the time, then I wouldn't enjoy yeah, it as much. I wouldn't get as, as It's excited. boring. Yeah. yeah, I was going to say, I think my two favorites um, for Cowboy Cha-Cha is uh, Neon Moon and mm-hmm. then also Sparks Fly. Okay. Like And so like... And those don't get played all the time, right? You know, they you know they switch them up a lot. So like when those get played, I'm like, yes. In and in, in my world, you know, I love me me some Brooks and Dunn. We talked about that, but I try to even stay away from from the Neon Moon because that's what everybody plays as a cowboy cha cha. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, you're coming to my venue now. I'm going to show you some new stuff, you know. Not necessarily new, but like one of my favorite cowboy cha-chas is Smoke Rings in the Dark, Gary Allen. I love that one. It's kind of misty. It's kind of haunting. and I've you know. heard that one as a, ch- as a cowboy yeah, cha it's, it's great, and it's even really good as, as cruising, too. Okay. It fits it really that. well. That's why I'm good at my job. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything that owners and patrons can do to make your job easier, and is there anything that we do that makes your job harder? You know, owners and patrons, well, we'll start with owners. To make my job easier, advertise. Get people in there. I can keep them there all night if you bring them in. My following is only as good as it is. If we can bring new people in every week, we can have new customers every week. You know, one one of my biggest gripes now at GSR is, you know, the, the previous DJ, they put his name and picture everywhere. Everywhere. You couldn't walk anywhere in there without seeing Country Nights with so-and-so and a picture of him. When I came in, they took all his stuff off, and now it just says Country Nights. I'm like, well, what about me? I actually have a following. I have all the Gillies people. Some of them don't have Facebook. Some of them I can't get in touch with. If they see my name or my face, they might come down. They go, well, the last DJ let it get to his head a little bit, so we don't want to do that to you. Okay, well, that's you run your business how you want to do it, but I think you're hurting it by not putting me out there. I mean, I, I don't know how much more people would come out there if if they saw my name, but it, it's probably going to be more. If it's another $50 a day, that's still a lot over the course of time because they're going to tell people who are going to tell people who are going to tell people. Now, in your world as as a patron, what you do that, that makes my job hard is not necessarily you, but... You know, when when somebody comes up and they want to hear that one song that I know nobody's going to dance to. And it's like, okay, you know, when do I play this song and completely kill what I've got going on? I want to make you happy. I want to do what you want to do. But you got to give me some time to work it into what I'm doing because if I played it next, I'm going to get fired. You know, I've got... 100 people on the dance floor right now. I'm going to play your song next, and I'm going to have two. And if my management walks by at 10, 15 and sees two people on the dance floor, that's going to be my butt, you know. So there, there has to, you have to have patience when you're requesting that song. And, and just because you can sing it loud in the car on your way over doesn't mean it's going to work good down there, you know. Don't don't come up and talk to me like you know my job better than I do. There's a reason I'm here and you're there. You know, if you have a request, I have no problem, you know, fitting it in. But don't come up and bitch to me that I'm not playing enough country music when I'm playing a song like Ain't Too Cool and there's 70 people on the dance floor. Right. Come have that conversation when I'm playing that song and there's nobody on the dance floor. Now talk to me. Now Now I'll take your suggestions. I know one of the things I do specifically at Stoney's when I'm trying to get certain dances that I know not a whole lot of people know, I will actually do the job of looking around, seeing, okay, how many people here know this dance? I'll go up to the DJ and be like, hey, if you can squeeze in such and such dance later, there's about six of us here that know mm-hmm. it. And I'll give them that information. I yep. say, if you can squeeze it in, I have no expectations that, no, you're going to play it and you're going to play it now right. at all. Because I understand that, you know, your job is to keep people happy on the dance floor dancing. Right. If there's only six people and there's, you know, a hundred people on the outside, sometimes that's nice because like you said earlier, mm-hmm. they can go grab a beer. Right. But sometimes it also gives people a reason to leave. Right. And and in my world, I always ask that when somebody will come up and 
And like, I forgot the song last night, but it was like Mr. Something. Mr. Put It Down. Yeah, Mr. Put It Down. She came up and requested. I'm like, who knows that? And she goes, there's at least four or five of us. I'm like, all right, so now I know that at least there'll be some people out there. So for me, a good place to put something like that in is other DJs listening. This works well. When you're switching from couples to line dances again, there's you're already killing the floor because all the couples are leaving. All the line dancers are coming. So if you go from from you know the the horseshoe, which when you go from horseshoe to anything else, a lot of those people are going to leave anyway. So now play a song that only six people are going to dance to because the line dancers are already sitting. They can wait one more song. The couples dancers are going to go back to their table and get a beer anyway. So now this these six people are going to have their chance to do their dance and then always come back with something strong. You know, if I play a song that tanks that I know is going to tank that six people are going to dance to, I'm going to come back with Outlaw or yep. Two Step Line Dance or Footloose. Something that is going to, that way even if my management is watching, they're going to go, "Well, it was slow last song, but yeah, he brought him back." You know, and then and then you can go from there, but that's that's part of the puzzle in my head of of how how to make things flow and and keep everybody happy. Are there any common traits among your favorite patrons? Is there anything they do that makes you love your job? Yeah, like Patsy filming everybody is amazing. You know, she she hates to be filmed herself and she's actually <laughs> cussed me out for filming her. <laughs> but, you know, kind of a a catch 22 or whatever, double standard, but you know, I think it's cool that she comes down and and that's her role in the line dance community. Is she she gets everybody on film and she, you know, doesn't even probably really realize it, but she's helped keeping it fresh to a new audience because anybody that sees her on Facebook sees these dances. My mom wants to come dancing so bad, but right now she's just busy and she lives vicariously through Patsy's videos. She watches every single one of them. A lot of the times because I'm in it, you know, and it, you know, even if I'm just standing up on stage, but it's still a chance to kind of kind of keep up on what's going on in, in the world and, and, and what my life is like because 80% of my nights are on video thanks to Patsy. You know, that's cool. And, and it's also nice when we get, you know, somebody new like you guys come down this weekend. It's, it's, it's a different take on a lot of the dances. It's, you know, it's, it's entertaining again. Or not that it's ever not entertaining, but it's, you know, I've, I've, seen, I've seen Max dance to Shape of You a hundred times. I know when he's going to do the spins. I know what it looks like. I know, you know, it's, it was cool a year ago. You know, he's still good at what he does. I still enjoy watching it. But to come watch you do your take on it, that's new to me. That's fun, you know, and that's that's reinvigorates it for me, mm-hmm. you know, so something new to watch. So, Is there an idea that you might have for, like, what an ideal night would look like? And is there any night that went so comically bad, everything that could go wrong did go wrong? And what would the story be? Um, well, ideal night would be, you know, what you saw Friday night. I mean, it was 2 o'clock. We still had probably over 100 people there raring to go when we were shutting it down. It's like, always leave them wanting more. That many people stayed most of the night, if not all night, and had a great time. And as far as things that go comically wrong, I mean, for me, there's nothing comical when you have a technical issue or something that actually goes wrong because that's my my livelihood and my 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 name. If I show up and my laptop doesn't boot up, that's not fun, you know? Are there any contingency plans that you have in place for unexpected calamities? Yeah, call my wife, say, bring another laptop immediately. Mm. No, I mean, I have enough music on my phone that I actually could 
do enough there that nobody would know while she ran home and got a backup laptop. Or, you know, when, when we do weddings, we bring an iPad with enough music to finish it because you do have to have backup stuff. I mean, luckily with the GSR, they're pretty understanding and, and we could make it work if, if something did go bad. They, they have to understand that, you know, I'm there 10 hours a week. Eventually something is going to fail somewhere. I just hope that when it does, it's on their end, not my end. You know, we, we do all we can do. We you know, upgrade our laptops every every other year. We buy a new laptop. You know, our little mini soundboard, I could run without that because they have all that equipment anyway. I just like to have the volume controls right there in front of me. So the the main thing is just, just the laptop. And if, if that ever went out, you know, even if I didn't have my phone and could play the videos off of the screens or whatever, it's like 30 minutes. She could run home, get hers, and come back. So we we could definitely make it work. But, yeah, there's... There's not really anything that could go wrong that in my world would be funny because I actually do take the job very seriously. And it's, you know, I have very, very high standards. And that's one thing that I taught my wife when we when she was learning how to DJ is I try to do everything perfect, as good as we can. That way, when something does go wrong, we're at like 90%. And nobody's going to know it's still a great day where you have some people out there that that do their thing by the skin of their teeth, you know, maybe at 50% and when something goes wrong, then now they're at 10% of, of the quality and everybody notices that. But, you know, for us, most of the stuff that goes wrong, nobody will ever notice. You know, I think the worst thing that ever happens to us right now is every once in a while I'll convert a, mu- a song on my computer on iTunes and the little doodly will go out over the speakers. And that's just funny anyway, whatever. Who cares? Is there anything that you you would be able to say to describe the line dance community specifically since you've taken on other gigs you've done weddings you've done other Mm -hmm. sorts of DJing and you've done line dance DJing is there anything unique to the tribe that is line dance people well and I think you hit the nail on the head by saying tribe (laughs) I mean (laughs) it's it's a very tight-knit community and that's part of the reason like why rodeo rock ended up closing was the owner of rodeo rock bought a second club as a partnership with somebody else, they were going to move the country to the new club, bring hip hop to this club. Well, when they did that, they pissed because Rodeo Rock was a great club. They pissed off that entire, you know, community of line dancers who, oh, they're going to buy this crappy club, send us over there and put the good stuff in our club. Well, when the partnership split ways and they tried to come back to country, nobody came. They they boycotted it. I mean, that then that unfortunately right as the transition of when I was DJing there. So I got to see that I was DJing to 40 people, 30 people, 50 people on a really good night. And they would go over to the other club. There'd be three or 400 people there. Wow. So for me, it was actually a pretty good scenario because I had a lot of wiggle room to learn what I was doing where, you know, the previous DJ GSR didn't have that. He went into the top place and said, here, go for it. I had room to make mistakes. I had room to learn what I was doing. He didn't have that. So, you know, the, that community, when they're on your side, they got your back. I mean, you know, our Patsy, the one that takes the videos, I mean, she's like she's like a second grandma to us. I love it. She comes up, gives us cards for our birthdays and doesn't miss. We showed up at the last birthday we had at Gillies. We got to work, and the entire DJ booth had balloons and streamers and, you know, five or ten cards from one from, you know, from all the dancers. And, you know, it's like. It kind of makes you feel like you're doing something right in life, you know. So just just like you said, the tribe, the, the tight-knit of it, I think, is, is amazing that everybody sticks together. I mean, there's drama still, like as there is everywhere. But, 
for the most part, everybody gets along. Everybody is all on the same page, and they're they're just there to have a good time. And you know, if, if you're that guy that can play the song that they want to hear, they love you. How do you balance your late night gigs as they are with the rest of your life's responsibilities? I don't have responsibilities. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, that that's one of the things though. Is is God? What's it been? Almost eight years now. I've only been a DJ. I had a, a regular Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and would have never had the nerve to quit, but they downsized and got rid of me. And that was the same time that with my my actual DJ business, Last Resort DJ. Plug, plug. <laughs> plug, plug, yes. Um, with that business, my brother and I had started it, and he decided he didn't like the late nights. He was a family guy. He wanted to be home, so he just quit. Here, take it. I don't want it anymore. Okay, well, we made... Sixteen, twenty, twenty-two thousand dollars a year. My Monday through Friday, nine to five, I was making like thirty-one, thirty-two thousand a year. Plus, we had her income, so we sat down and had a bottle of wine and decided whether or not I should even go get another job or not, or just see if we. This is the only opportunity we're going to have to make this work. Let's see what we can do. Mm-hmm. Almost eight or nine years later, that's all I do. I've only ever been a DJ. When I show up to work, I always have a laptop with music on it. And I can drink. So that's an important thing for work. If you can drink <laughs> on the job, it's a fun job. But, you know, she, I love my wife. She's very understanding. She lets me do my thing. You know, I, I work late nights. She's often out with me. But she still has a regular job, mainly for the insurance and stuff. And she, she DJs a lot, too. So, you know, that would be probably a better question asked to her of how to balance it. Because for me, I get to sleep in every morning. But she... You know, we'll come out to GS on thir- GSR on Thursdays, stay till midnight, 1 o'clock, and then have to get up at 5 and go to work. And then she'll go back to GSR or DJ a wedding on Friday till midnight, 1 or 2 in the morning. And then, you know, we're up at 9 or 10 and then usually have to get ready for a wedding that day as well. And then often after the wedding, she'll come back to GSR because she likes all, you know, they're all family to us. So she likes hanging out too. And then Sunday is her only day off, and she gets stuck in a stupid podcast room. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, babe. (laughs) No, but, you know, so it's probably more of a balance for her than me because, you know, my average week during the summer is, you know, work a couple days a week, 11, 12 hours a week, and then golf three or four days a week. It's rough, I know. (laughs) But there's not much to balance there. You know, get on the computer and pay bills every couple weeks. You mentioned the podcast room, and I would like to, to note to our listeners that we are using your equipment for this this recording. What can you tell us about your setup here today? It was a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. <laughs> so I think part of what, what makes me good at what I do, it's funny that I can relate this, is when I do something, I'm all in. I When, when I... Two years ago, a year ago now, I guess, maybe two years ago, I don't know, We I decided just, I wanted to see if I could do radio. I, want, I, I wanted to see if I could do a podcast. I had a couple friends that were in radio, and I just, we were having dinner one night, and I said, we should do a podcast. And they go, okay, let's do it. What do we got to do? I don't know. <laughs> so I started doing some research and found out kind of stuff that I needed to buy. You know, I, 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 I'm an audio guy anyway because of the DJ. I run my own mixing boards and stuff. So went out, spent, this was, I think, seven or $800 for the mixing board. Microphone was a couple hundred dollars. 
the other microphones they brought in, that's just a, a cheap karaoke one. So if their voices sound like crap on the recording, that's because I'm using substandard equipment on their end. As long as my voice sounds good, that's all that matters. Pretty much. <laughs> but so I just started kind of piecing everything together to be able to to make it work. And like the original way we recorded was onto my computer, which is behind me. But when you run and hook all this stuff together, you get a nasty uh, electronic hum. So I went and spent the I think this was two hundred for the the recording device that everything plugs into, you know, all that just. Whatever whatever it would take to make it work, that's what I did. And it was a lot of money, but for me, it's also a write-off for my business anyway. Nice. So there, there's a little bit of give and take there, but when I, when I do something, I do it all the way. I mean, I, I'm not going to try to be as cheap as I can just to see if we can get by. If I'm going to put something out there, it's going to be the right quality. It's going to be, you know, have the effort and time put into it to make it work. So when... That eventually, after I think it was like six or seven months, kind of fizzled out. They decided one of the guys decided he didn't want to do it anymore. It's like, well, I could probably sell this and get pretty good money for it, or I could keep it in case I ever want to fire it back up again. And as it turns out, here we are. Yeah, that really came in handy today. <laughs> so, and and actually, I'm talking to one of the other people that we did the podcast with. I think around the first of the year, we're going to start another one. Just general topic, whatever the hell we want to talk about for you know a couple hours every month, every other week. I don't know. So. You mentioned about the um, the work life balance that it seems to be like one thing after another, uh, depending on on how your wife's schedule looks. <laughs> what what is your go to getaway from the the DJ life? Like, if, is there a thing that you use to de stress uh, yeah. or to just be completely apart from music? And, yeah, there, and there's microphones? a there's a few different levels of de stressing we have. The easiest one is in our backyard with the hot tub. Mm. You know we crack a bottle of wine, smoke a cigar, sit in the hot tub and just, you know, an hour of, of whatever we want, you know, whether it's listening to music or whatever, but just out there, just, just the ultimate relaxation. Um, probably the next level up is would be going and getting massages, <coughs> have, have a spa day, you know, um, the next level up camping, which unfortunately we don't get to do very often because I work every weekend. You know, and she, because of her job, it's hard for her just to take a couple of days off to go camping. But, you know, then, then the ultimate is just, just traveling, you know, making use of our, of our time while we're here. We've been to Europe four times in the last two years. Wow. Nice. You know, we're, we're broke and the cable got shut off a couple of days ago, but, you know. <laughs> I get it. I totally get it. <laughs> it didn't, but almost. But, you know, we're, we're, we're living, you know, I, I don't have a retirement in what I do. This is only going to be here for so long. So when it eventually goes away, if I can look back and go, man, we had some good times. Now i got to get a real job, <laughs> you know. Time yeah, it, it's going to have been worth it. You know, we, we're we terrible at saving money. We spend our money, obviously, because I don't do anything half-assed. But the stuff we do is fun, and, and we live. I mean, who wants to be 70-year-old and have $100,000 and you can't even leave your house? You know, I I joke and she gets mad because I tell a lot of people when they ask what I do, I tell them I'm semi-retired. I work 11 hours a week, you know. And play golf. <laughs> and play a lot of, yeah, semi-retired. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I feel bad and I, I try to take care of her because she does. She Luckily, she loves her, her Monday through Friday job. That's actually who we were with earlier today. It was a lot of people from her work. And and she's able to to enjoy when she goes to work. It's still work, but... There's a lot worse work out there for her. So it's it's a happy balance. And, and she knows that what I do is important to me. And I think that's important in any relationship is 
to have somebody that is supportive and will let you, you know, I don't want to call this a dream because I kind of fell into it. It's an awesome job and I love what I do. But if I could find something that paid more money for less work, I would be all over it. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to find anything that pays more money for the amount of work that I have to do. And I get to drink on the job. So, you know, I I embrace it. It's something that I'm good at. But if I didn't have the DJ gig, if if I wasn't a DJ at all, I would never go to nightclubs. I would never go dancing. I did all that in my 20s and 30s. Well, I'm still in my 30s. But, you know, I did a lot of it. I mean, I was line dancing seven nights a week for probably two and a half years wow. back in, in the rodeo rock days and all that. And I do enjoy when I dance and when I'm out there, but I'm also getting paid to be there. If I could choose between having some beers out at GSR on a Saturday night dancing, if I didn't know anybody, I, be, I think our life would be different now if I lost it. I would still hang out with everybody because I know them. But if that never came in the picture, we wouldn't go out. We have everything we need right here. You know, this, this is our life. We've built this home the way we want it to be, and that's what we do. But now it's kind of cool because we get to go out and and hang out with friends, and they pay us to do that, and that that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Even tonight, you know, we're going to go support Dustin for a little bit over at the Little Wall and, and just, you know, hang out. And for us, that's fun because we get to be there as customers and not have any responsibilities. Yeah. You know, just kind of bounce around and talk to people and, and leave when we want and We're not stuck to a schedule, so... Is there anybody that you've seen personally transformed by the power of line dance? And are there any types of people that you think would especially benefit from becoming involved in the line dance community? Like shy or English as a second language, Um, unconfident? You know, not really. I mean, people that that are coming to GSR pretty much know what they're getting into. I was shocked to find out, like one of our, our Daisy Duke dancers, Katie, she's only been dancing for like six months. And I never knew her before that, but I know she's one of the ones that's out there doing Get Ugly and Ain't Too Cool, and she's really picked a lot of them up. I I was shocked when I found out she'd only been dancing for a very short amount of time. It's like, that's that's somebody that really embraces it, but, you know, most people that are coming to where I am, they're already who they are. They know what they're, they're they're line dancers. If you're not a line dancer, it's hard to go to a place like that because you're not going to be able to dance to anything else. So you already kind of got to be into it, so... You know, I haven't really seen it. We do have, she goes by Shadow. She speaks very little English, you know, an Asian woman. And she, she knows, like, all the line dances. And she she's there every night. You know, that that's her whole life. And, and it's like, I don't know if that's changed her or not, but it, I think it's pretty cool. You know, she's the one that comes up and requests one, two, three often. So, you know, I, I don't really, haven't really seen anybody change or, or flourish or whatever because people already are who they are. You know, they're just able to express that on the dance floor and it's it's not really a shock to me I guess maybe because I'm good at reading people. What is the gateway drug for people to get into lion dance so that they are exposed to it for the first time? Do you find that there is a a a dance that people they they try to learn that like keep it shuffler copperhead where they're like mm-hmm. once they do that they're they're in it they're addicted or is there like a senior group that teaches and then they learn that and then come here? You know, I think I think for most people and this is like from watching my wife who has, has a really hard time learning the rhythm and learning how to dance is just just that that sense of accomplishment when you finally get it when you can get out there and do it and you're part of the group and you're part of the pack and you're part of the crowd i think that's what starts feeding that that want because you learn your dance you know one you know the outlaw okay well you get to do it once maybe twice a night the rest of the night you're sitting there so that makes you want to go well god i want to learn more 
so you could be out there and do all the ones you want to do. And, and, you know, the health benefits obviously are awesome. You know, the, you know, you guys last couple nights, three or four hours of cardio, you know, constant dancing, which, which is also good. So that's, that's another motivation for some people, but just, just that being able to be out there and do what everybody else is doing and having a good time and, and have, you know, it's what it's all about is having a good time, having fun. And, and the more, you know, the more fun you're going to have because you're going to be able to express yourself in those different ways. And, you know, like bringing back the lonely drum, you hear a great song, do a fun dance. And it's just, it's five minutes of a good time. And I think that's, that's the, the fuel that people are looking for. One of the things I've noticed, um, especially from Dustin is just how much he's really picked it up and, and taken mm-hmm. on some of the responsibilities of line dance on his own. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other things that we as dancers can do to build and strengthen the scene, whether it's to become skilled at DJing or at no, don't do that. No, don't, no, not in, the, not in your area. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not in Reno. <laughs> Reno's good. No, Reno's no. No. the best thing to do is just get more people down. I mean, you know, there's only so many, so much money that can be made in one night. And, and I know we're talking about dancing and it's a line dance podcast, but I'm also on the other side of it that my whole world lives and breathes by bar sales. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, if, if what you guys are doing is fun and you bring all your friends out and they're having fun and they're also buying drinks, then that's fun for everybody because we all get to keep doing it. You know, you've got the, the, what they call the club killers that come down, bring their own water, don't support the venue at all. That doesn't help anybody out. I mean, yeah, it's a body on the floor, but if you have enough of those, nobody's got a place to dance anymore, and then nobody's having fun. So, you know, it's it's important to to breed the the mentality and and the the mindset of supporting what you do, supporting where you go, and bringing more people out because the more people that are there, the more money the venue is going to make. The longer the venue is going to stand. What do you think is the most successful uh, me in, do- oh. <laughs> in doing that? Uh, in addition to word of mouth, like have you seen? Uh, you mentioned that there's the the big screen that they put out mm-hmm. in front. Uh, do you guys have like flyers that, that you ever try to put out? Um, yeah, boards, you know, and that's radio. I I can go back to even <clears throat> the Gillies days where you know their their marketing team sucked because they have the best in the West Nugget Rib Cookoff there every year. I played golf with some guys that were part of the rib cook-off. They'd been staying there for four nights, and I said, well, you guys should come down to Gillies tonight. You know, I'm going to be DJing. And they go, where's that? I'm like, it's in the Nugget. Really? We've been there for four days. I've never even heard anything of it. So, you know, that's that's pretty, uh, you know, a stretch for somebody that's staying there to not even know about it. But I'm, like, talking to the management. Why don't we have our Gillies girls out there handing out flyers, 50-cent off coupons to get people in there? We'll have a line all the way out the door wrapped around the building twice if you do that. And they didn't feel the need for it. So, you know, marketing is important. Word of mouth. Advertising. If peop- You could have Garth Brooks playing in a venue. If nobody knows he's there, nobody's going to show up. Right. You know, if people don't know about it, they're not going to be there. Luckily, with our community, we have enough people that the word of mouth is good. But there always could be more. You know, they, they could, you know, hand out some free drinks, give us some drink specials, let us do some contests. And I've been actually been working with the GSR to give away, you know, tickets to shows that are going to be there. Just just something to kind of keep it fresh, keep it, you know, so people that there's people like you guys that are going to go as long as they're playing music. But then there's the other side of the, the spectrum that people are going to get bored pretty quick because they're hearing the same, you know, same songs every week. 
do something to keep it fresh for them too. And if you can keep that that bubble pretty big, then I think you're going to have the the widest range of crowd that you can have on any given night. And and you know, ten people come in and have a good time. They're going to tell three people. One person comes in and leaves pissed. He's going to tell everybody. Yep. You know, so you got to got to keep that balance and keep people happy. Is there anything that you discuss that um, maybe isn't being discussed enough in in the line dance world uh, about line dance? Like, I mean, uh, just recently we were talking with Max about how the I guess one of the conceptions people can have about like whether you are an advanced dancer or a beginner dancer is whether you can do a dance that's described as beginner or mm-hmm. intermediate or advanced. And if you're doing the advanced dance, then you say like, oh, I am advanced <laughs> dancer because I know this dance. But uh, his definition was. Uh, more along the lines of like, what can you do with a basic dance, like electric right. slide? Like, if you're able to bend that like to the point of almost breaking the steps, and then come back and like do the vanilla version at at will, right. then that really shows you more about you know how the person is uh, as as far as like their relationship with dance in their bodies. Is there anything that's sort of like that where you you discuss? Uh, things that that you'd like to see more people joining the discussion on. You know, well, first of all, Max is an anomaly. Yes, I mean, is. I watched that guy do a power jam, and in the whole three-minute song, I think he did two steps to the power jam. <laughs> but he was always facing the right way. Yep. So, you know, I don't know if that makes him advance or not. That's obviously hard, He's but incredible. I think if you did a line of cocaine, you could probably accomplish the same thing, at least in your own mind. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I've never done it. I wouldn't know. But, you know... As far as beginner to advance, I I couldn't tell you because I think the the line dances that people are learning today are so vanilla. I mean, you've got the Redneck Angel, 16 counts. Totally easy, but it's one that everybody loves because you do have a lot of freedom mm-hmm. to do what you want to do in it. But, you know, I, I've almost got that one down. I get screwed up on the first part of it. But it doesn't mean it's an intermediate dance or an easy dance where... I had no problem learning ooh-ah or Watermelon Crawl or even Men in Black. Those, those to me, were easy dances. Now they're considered intermediate. So I, I think that the whole culture has changed where people just, not even in the line dance community, but people in general have a way shorter attention span, so it's harder to teach more complicated stuff. Boots, Good, and Boogie, what, 48 counts? Something like that, you know, two or three different turns. That would almost be impossible to teach in the forms that we have today because most venues only give you 30 minutes and it's like you can't break it down enough to to actually learn it so you know if there if there was a discussion that needed to be had it would be how do we convince venues the importance of line dance instruction in the world today because that is the fuel that feeds the ultimate fire that makes you the money you know if, if nobody's teaching if nobody's learning then there's no new dances, and the stuff that you play is going to get pretty damn old. Mm. You know, if you can't ever mix it up. That being said, I think we're doing a pretty good job at GSR. I had a lady come up to me on Friday night, and she goes, I used to come in a lot when it was the Jamie G days, and I, I knew all the line dances then. I don't know any of this. Can you play some old stuff? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So, you know, okay, well, I know we're keeping current then, and and, you know, in my world, it's like, you know, you're right. I, I ain't too cool, get ugly. And I, I had been playing all new stuff. And it's like, yeah, I need to go back and I need to get, you know, Watermelon Crawl, Men in Black, Boots, Scoot, and Boogie, Alley Cat. Alley Cat was old when I worked at Rodeo Rock. I mean, that was one of those. Like, oh, my God, that thing is old. But people still like doing it. So, you know, the the discussion would be 
how do we convince venues of that importance? Because it's hard for them on paper to lose an hour of time on a time when they could be making money, even if it's only one night a week. I think it needs to be more. But, you know, they lose that hour of time where it's boring for everybody in there that's not taking the lesson. How do you, how do you convince them that that's the right decision? You know, and I don't know the right answer. Maybe offer 50 cent chicken wings while the lessons are on. I don't know. But there, there's got to be a solution there. But, you know, a place like GSR, we only have four hours. They're not going to commit a whole lot of time to to learning. But thankfully for us, we do have Judy that teaches at the other venues. So there is still an opportunity for new music to be introduced into even our community and, and GSR. And, and for me, it, it's part of the puzzle because I don't always know what she's teaching. So somebody will come up and request a song and I'll be like, never even heard of that. You know, who knows it? How many people know it? And then I'll do it, like I mentioned earlier, play it between the couples and the line dance. And, okay, 10 or 15 people did it. I can play that as a normal line dance next time. You know, and that's that's my idea of feeling the water. But that's that's what needs to happen is people need to figure out a way to help the venues understand that that is important. There's a place where we used to occasionally go dancing in Sonoma County where they would they would teach a lesson on the way, way earlier side where not many people were there. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't reinforce the dance over the course of the night. And then the dances they would do were the ones that all of them knew. Right. And that they've known for the, like, the last four years or longer. Mm-hmm. And new people, even if they took the lesson, were never actually going to do that dance. Because right. it wasn't going to get played. Right. They, they wouldn't teach the ones that were getting played so that people could catch up. And, and then when we started teaching in that area, we've just been teaching all night. Like right. you do a, a couple beginner dances and then play a couple of songs and then do another couple lessons and then right. another couple of songs until the bar is like done or <laughs> until the last hour because it keeps the beginners engaged. Right. They have something they can do. So they're not just, yeah, I did that one dance and I'm going to watch for three hours. Yep. And, and we run into that here because you never know what dance is going to take on, but I'm going to bring my wife back into this because it takes her, she really has to commit to learn a line dance. It, it takes her a long time, sometimes three and four lessons. And she'll, she'll go like on the Thursday and Dustin will be teaching and she'll be like, are you ever going to play this? Because I'm not going to waste, you know, for what her would probably be six or seven hours to learn the line dance. I'm not going to waste that much time if you're never going to play it and I'm just going to forget it anyway. And I don't always have a straight answer with her because I don't know. I mean, when Dustin first started doing Ain't Too Cool, I was like, two or three people know it. Do you really want to learn it? But now, you know, she actually, that's one of the ones she knows. She's out there doing it and she's one of the 50 people, 60 people on the dance floor. And it's like, well, that was a good investment for her. But for that, there's probably at least four or five others that we could think of that I never play. Because, you know, Dustin taught him, nobody ever requested. If nobody requests it, I'm not going to play it. You know, that's that's where I base my 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 meter is at, is, is what people are requesting. If, if he teaches moves like Jagger and then people are requesting moves like Jagger, next week I'm going to play it on my own. I'm not going to wait for the request. But if he teaches it and nobody ever even talks about it, there's no reason to play it because I'm going to have four people on the dance floor. Yeah, the same thing happens with us with Sonoma State Line Dance Club, where you hope every lesson's going to be a hit, mm-hmm. and when you play it later, they'll all remember it. But there are some dances where you know they're really excited about it, and they'll, they'll learn it, and then they'll do it later on when we review it. There are other dances where they won't even make it all the way through the lesson before they're like, oh, I need to get some water. Right. And then yeah, like by the much. end of it, when you're ready for full speed, there are two people left. Right. And it's like, yeah, this this was a huge waste of time. 
And I one more thing before we start wrapping up is that I think it's important, you know, for Dustin and everybody to go back and still teach the drifter and still teach watermelon crawl. Yes. Even though they're they're very old dances, there's still a good group of people out there that don't know it. And those are the ones that we play every night, you know. So I think that that's, that's an important aspect too. And I think that gets lost on a lot of line dance instructors because they want to get all the new stuff out there. But if you're teaching five new ones and one of them takes off, that means you wasted four classes. And if one of those four classes was a, a boot scoot and boogie, watermelon crawl, drifter, firebird, something that gets played often, then at least some people are still getting some value out of that. You know, I think our couples dance that we're teaching at GSR this month is Drifter. And I told Dustin, I'm like, well, maybe only six couples are going to do it. But that's six people or six couples that don't know it. You know, I think that's important because that's one that gets played a lot. So At the Bex and Lancaster, they, they make a point of if they're doing two lessons, they do one classic, one new okay. one. And that's their way of, of keeping the older ones alive because mm -hmm. those are going to get played regardless. So they might as well teach them. Right. And uh, and then the new one, yeah, maybe it'll stick, maybe it won't. But mm -hmm. at least they have, as you mentioned, that classic yeah. one that will get played. Yeah, that that people can actually come and learn something that they're going to do. And and they're both equally important. But, you know, with, with the new line dances, you're just, you know, throwing it to the wall and seeing what sticks, seeing what people like because you don't know. Mm -hmm. And that's important because that's how you get new line dances introduced. But... Yeah, if that's all you're doing, people are going to get bored because you're going, oh, are we going to learn another dance we're never going to do? You know, so. If you had the ear of, let's say, you know, millions and millions of line dancers all around the world. Don't is, we on this <laughs> podcast? Exactly. Is, is there anything you would want to ask of them? Anything that you would want them to think about or anything that they would maybe consider <clears throat> doing or changing? And uh, just generally... Speaking, if you had a giant billboard for all of them to look at, what mm. would you want to put on it? I would, I would want to remind them of the most important thing, and that is to support the venue. I mean, that can't be stressed enough because without that, you got no place to dance. You know, I don't even care if I get tips. They pay me a lot to be there. You know, tip your waitresses, tip your bartenders, and buy some damn drinks. You know, we have a lot of our dancers that come in and go, well, I only drink water. Okay, buy me a beer then. Buy that guy a beer. You know, spend some money because if you don't, you may as well not even be there. Because, yeah, it looks nice to have 100 people there, but if only 10 guys are drinking, that's not going to support it. And then there's going to be nowhere. So, you know, if, if that's – it's it's the age-old thing of, of, you know, nothing is free in this world. And even though you can go to a place like GSR or, you know, I think Stoney's has a cover. Mm-hmm. Which I think is good. You can never get away with that where we're at because it's so open. But even even if you go to a place and there's no cover, find a way to spend some money. Don't have a free night of entertainment because that doesn't help anybody. You know, we, we have a lady that actually is a regular at GSR that brags that she comes down there and doesn't spend a damn dime. I didn't pay for anything tonight. Like, why were you here? You know, you're not helping me out. So that's... That's I think that's the most important thing because if if people don't spend money then we don't have a place to dance and I you know I wouldn't have a job you guys wouldn't have any reason to come to Reno no reason no reason to do it if there's no venues is there a way that people could best contact you if they wanted to shoot you an email or add you on Facebook how would they do that absolutely you can find me on Facebook we actually have our our, our line dance page which is Reno Country four dash one dash one. 
You can search for it on Facebook. You'll see the Grand Sierra logo or whatever on there. My name is Jeremy McWigan on Facebook, M-C-G-U-I-G-A-N. And my personal email is Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, at lastresortdj.com. And let me see if I can squeeze in a couple bonus questions before I get to my final tiny one. Is there anything that you see or hope for the future of Lion Dance, or is there any unexplored potential that you would like to see tapped in it? You know, just just for the future of Lion Dance, I mean, I, I look out at our crowd at GSR, and, you know, the median age is obviously going up every year. I would like to see more and more of the 21-year-olds you know, starting to come out and take an interest in it because that's good for everybody. Anyway, those are the ones that drink more. Those are the ones that are spending the money. And like I said, obviously, my point of view is skewed from a business side, not from a dancer side, but the business side is what makes everything work. So we got to keep the wheel rolling. Right now, you know, at GSR, the median age is, is, is up there and it's not really balanced out right. So, you know, if, if those people quit coming out, there's not enough of the, the 20-somethings to support the business. So, we got to find a way to to keep keeping it fresh, and I think you know having a line dance instructor like Dustin, who's a little bit younger, who's you know in that age group, makes it cool all of a sudden for that age group that wants to learn how to do it. Where if you've got you know this sixty-five-year-old line dance instructor, then you know I don't want to learn from that old guy. So that's that's what I hope for. I just hope that you know the wheels keep rolling, and and we all have a place to go, and I have a place to work for years and years to come because. Not really good at anything else. <laughs> well, one final question. Is there a dance that you would recommend that everyone go out and learn right now? Yeah, I forgot what the name of it was. Can't Walk Away. Can't Walk Away. The instructors are awesome. Aww. Or the the choreographers are awesome. No, that actually looks really cool, but I, I'm going to bring it back to what I said earlier. I think that right now, I think Lonely Drum is going to be a huge dance. I think it's fun. Song is catchy as hell. And, uh... I think she, my wife was just talking that they're going to be teaching it in Carson next week. I think we're going to go take that lesson and take the lesson when Dustin teaches it here. So I'd say Lo- Lonely Drum is, is the one to look out for. I think that's going to be pretty big. As a bit of cross-promotion, we have an episode of Line Dance Podcast where we discuss for an hour the popularity of Lonely Drum and why it is that way. Yep. So that's something for people to tune in to as well. Now I have a question for you guys. Yes. Did I beat Max this time? <laughs> That's a good question. I'm going to have to look that up. Can we get back to you on that? <laughs> Stay tuned. All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting line dance with Megan and myself here today. Yeah. DJ Jeremy. Do we clap now? Yay. We made it through. All right. Well, we'll see you on the dance floor.